0: listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of suicide. Please keep this in mind when deciding if, how, and when you'll listen. For resources on these topics, visit spotify.com resources.
1: In December of 1996, the members of Heaven's Gate threw a Christmas party. For a group that shunned materialism and human attachments, it was a surprisingly festive affair.
0: They decorated the house with garlands, lights, and stockings, wrapped presents, baked identical cakes, one for each member.
1: In the middle of the party, a follower who had left the group for a time suddenly returned, perhaps an even greater gift than the ones tied with bows. Everyone hugged him, welcoming him back.
0: They held a talent show, members showed off small tricks like juggling. They sang together as a choir, conducted by Marshall Applewhite, including a song that they'd written about Heaven's Gate.
1: It was a happy day, smiles and laughter all around.
0: But just three months later, they were gone.
2: Hi,
1: I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is our final episode in a special anniversary series on Heaven's Gate, presented by Cults. We're taking a deep dive into the so-called UFO cult to try to understand who they were, what they believed, and what caused their tragic end 25 years ago.
0: Today we're going to follow the final weeks of Heaven's Gate. We'll also look at the aftermath of their deaths and the reaction from the public.
1: As we close out the series, we'll try to tackle one of the most difficult questions that surrounds the group. Did they die by suicide or was this an act of mass murder? We have all that coming up. Stay with
2: us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
1: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA,
2: and the
3: KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets, and sometimes, their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify.
0: In the early 1990s, the remaining members of Heaven's Gate were fueled by a new purpose. They had to warn as many people as they could that the end of the age was almost here. They had to spread the message of the next level before it was too late.
1: They convinced a handful of new recruits to join their group. But for the most part, the public rejected their message, ridiculed them, told them they were crazy.
0: It didn't make Heaven's Gate any less dedicated to their faith. It just convinced them of a hard truth. The rest of the world didn't listen because they weren't worth saving.
1: One member explained in a statement, The weeds have taken over the garden and truly disturbed its usefulness beyond repair. It is time for the civilization to be recycled, spaded under. In other words, humanity was a total lost cause.
0: Inside the confines of Heaven's Gate, members were taught to reject their humanness. Initially, that helped them focus on their transformation. But after so many years highlighting every human flaw, it manifested into a complete hatred of the outside world. Humanity wasn't just lost, it was disgusting, rotten to the core.
1: We can see evidence of that in the following prayer. Please open my eyes, so that I may see as you the corrupt, wicked, and evil ways of this world, so my hate will grow daily for what it has chosen to become. Help me not to be blinded to knowing that in order to leave this world, I must have grown to despise it.
0: Another follower felt, this planet has become the planet of the walking dead. The human world is a hideous hell due to all of the poor choices humans have made since the beginning of this civilization.
1: Crucially, the members of Heaven's Gate had convinced themselves that they weren't humans. They were aliens in human clothes. They didn't belong here. And the failed recruitment basically sealed the deal on that.
0: Because the rest of the world treated them like outsiders. They felt persecuted, and they wondered if one day someone might attack them for trying to spread their message.
1: There had always been an undercurrent of paranoia in Heaven's Gate. Back in the 70s, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles had gone underground for a time because they were worried they might be arrested. All of the negative press about them made them feel like targets.
0: The group remained skittish even after they formed the classroom. They moved constantly, never staying in any one place for more than six months, paying for everything in cash. Part of this was to keep them from getting too comfortable. That was a human crutch. But it was also to make them harder to track.
1: However, their latest round of recruitment had exposed them in a big way. Heaven's Gate was front page news by their own making. So these feelings of paranoia intensified because not only did Applewhite feel like he alone knew the truth about Christianity, he also knew the truth about aliens and UFOs.
0: Members of Heaven's Gate believed that the US government had covered up past UFO crashes and the recovery of alien bodies, things that would prove the existence of the next level. So by telling the world about all of it, it put a target on their back. But, maybe that wasn't a bad thing.
1: By this point, everyone in the group knew they would need to leave behind their vehicles, their bodies, to get to the next level. This was what they called the exit. And if the government saw them as a threat, maybe their exit would happen during some kind of standoff with authorities. They'd seen it happen before with other fringe groups.
0: Applewhite pointed to Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge and David Koresh at Waco. He saw them as men who were devout in their own way and had also been labeled outsiders. They were both involved in standoffs with authorities in the early 90s. Both had ended with a body count.
1: Maybe the same thing would happen to Heaven's Gate. Maybe that was the exit that The Next Level had planned for them.
0: The group purchased several guns and learned how to use them. In a public Usenet posting, Applewhite wrote that anyone who was interested in joining Heaven's Gate should come with their own weapon and be prepared to use it.
1: But eventually they backed off from that idea. A government siege was too unpredictable. Sociologist Robert Balch explained in Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults. Half of them would be dead and the other half will end up maimed and crippled and still stuck here on planet Earth.
0: So the group continued to grapple with this pressing question – how were they going to exit?
1: Should they simply wait for their vehicles to break down one by one? They'd always believed that they would graduate together as a group. And out of all of them, Marshall Applewhite's vehicle was breaking down the fastest.
0: He was an older man now, in his 60s. According to some of his former followers, he thought he might be dying, suffering from a form of cancer. At the very least, age was taking a heavy toll. Then in September of 1994, Applewhite approached the group and asked, what if we had to exit our vehicles by our own choice? Did we have a problem with that?
1: Once again, he turned to the Bible for guidance. Jesus had sacrificed his body, allowed himself to be killed so that he could return to his father in heaven. Should Heaven's Gate follow his example and take their own lives?
0: The reaction from the group was somber. It was a long conversation, considering all the possibilities. Tears were shed, and at least one person packed their bags that night and left Heaven's Gate as a result.
1: But the majority of them agreed to consider suicide as their exit strategy. One former member explained, they didn't identify with the vehicle anyway.
0: Shortly after this conversation, the group purchased a book written by journalist and assisted suicide advocate Derek Humphrey. The book provides medical, ethical, and legal advice, as well as a specific methodology that Humphrey called 100% Certain.
1: It's important to stress that Humphrey's book was intended for terminally ill patients who wish to end their lives. It advocates for the right to die in a very specific arena, so try to keep that context in mind.
0: And after this initial discussion, Heaven's Gate actually put this possibility on the back burner. It was drastic, and they weren't completely convinced that it was what the next level wanted. In the meantime, they did several things to indicate they had no intention of exiting anytime soon.
1: For one, they kept recruiting. Throughout 1995 and 1996, they used the internet to try to spread the message, but only two new members, a couple, joined as a result and one of them defected after about a month.
0: It was also during this time that Applewhite and a handful of followers decided to have castration procedures, which we talked about in a previous episode. Which begs the question, why put yourself through a painful surgery and recovery process if you're about to leave your body behind?
1: And in 1995, the group broke ground on arguably their most impressive undertaking yet. They purchased 40 acres of land in New Mexico, the site of an abandoned summer camp. They planned to build a fully functional, self-sustaining compound for Heaven's Gate, a sort of monastery they called the Launch Pad.
0: But after dedicating 10 months to the project, they ran out of steam. The weather turned cold. One member said it was just too hard to keep doing.
1: And maybe the season had turned in more ways than one, because around the time the Launch Pad project wrapped up, one of the members of Heaven's Gate discovered an underground radio show. The late-night AM broadcast primarily covered conspiracy theories, UFOs, and government cover-ups.
0: The whole group started tuning into the program. It was how they learned the truth about the Hale-Bopp comet that it had a spaceship traveling alongside it.
1: Coming up, Heaven's Gate finally opens.
3: Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer, And I'm Em Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about, not to join, but you know, to to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the fountain of youth? Address, please. (laughs) Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all.
0: In 1996, one of the most popular late-night talk radio shows in the U.S. was Coast to Coast, hosted by Art Bell. Topics on the show ran the gamut, everything from the paranormal to Bigfoot to gun control. Bell considered himself an entertainer first and foremost, but wanted Coast to Coast to be an open forum for any discussion, even if he didn't necessarily agree with every viewpoint. Anyone could call in and talk about pretty much anything.
1: By that fall, the Hale-Bopp comet was a hot topic in both UFO and conspiracy theory circles. There were claims that the U.S. government was hiding an important truth from the public, that an alien spaceship was flying alongside the comet.
0: On November 14th, an amateur astronomer named Chuck Schrammick called into Coast to Coast with an update. He said, There's been a real lack of pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope or any big observatories, so that got me all the more curious.
1: Art Bell asked him to clarify. Why did he think the government would hide photos of the comet? Schrammick replied, perhaps they saw something they felt might disturb people.
0: Schrammick claimed that he'd taken his own photograph, and it showed that a huge, unidentified object was following the Hale-Bopp comet, a companion. Like other conspiracy theorists, he believed it was a spacecraft. Schrammack was immediately struck when he saw it, saying, It was so bright and strange, I began to pray.
1: The next day, a man named Courtney Brown called into the radio show. He claimed to be an expert on remote viewing, a clairvoyant technique that allows someone to see and sense faraway objects using only their mind. Remote viewing is considered a pseudoscience at best, so it definitely fit the bill for Art Bell's show.
0: Brown and some of his students at the Farsight Institute had used their powers to investigate the Hale-Bopp Companion, and based on what they'd seen, it was absolutely a spaceship. They described it as larger than Earth, hollow, and under intelligent control.
1: Brown provided another photo of the Companion, allegedly given to him by an anonymous photographer. It showed a large glowing object in the trail of Hale-Bopp. Art Bell posted it on his website and it quickly spread throughout the online UFO community.
0: Both Shramick and Brown's photos were debunked by experts. Schrammick had actually captured an image of an identified star. Brown's photo was straight-up doctored. But by that point, the companion theory had taken hold, especially inside Heaven's Gate.
1: They saw Hale-Bopp as the marker they'd been waiting for, a signal from the next level. And not just the companion, but the comet itself.
0: Sociologists Robert Balch and David Taylor explained that while Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles were camping in Gold Beach, Oregon, there had been another comet in the sky called Kohotek. They believed it was the harbinger of their religious epiphany in 1973.
1: Initially, Kohotek was called the Comet of the Century. It was supposed to be the brightest comet observed to date, but as it got closer to Earth, it fizzled out similar to Applewhite and Nettles' predicted demonstration.
0: But now, in 1996, here was Hale-Bopp, and it lived up to all of the hype. So bright that it could be seen without a telescope, even in large cities with lots of light pollution.
1: People all over the world were looking up at the heavens, watching the comet. If that wasn't a sign from the next level, what was?
0: Heaven's Gate posted a new message on their website. Red alert! Hale-Bopp brings closure to Heaven's Gate. They were being called home. Messages from the next level, quote, made it clear to us that Hale-Bopp's approach is the marker we've been waiting for, the time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to their world in the literal heavens.
1: In January of 1997, Heaven's Gate started making arrangements to leave the planet. They chose March 22nd as their initial exit date. According to astronomers, that was when Halebop would make its nearest approach to Earth. It was also auspiciously timed with Easter on March 30th. That gave the group almost three months to prepare.
0: They'd already liquidated all of their assets in an estate sale a few months earlier, and they used some of that money to travel.
1: The group rented a charter bus and headed up north to Gold Beach, Oregon, the site of Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou epiphany. They treated it like a religious pilgrimage, visiting a holy site.
0: Heaven's Gate also hit the Las Vegas Strip. They stayed in the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino, probably because the architecture resembles a flying saucer. Their ledger noted that they budgeted $3,500 for general expenses and $1,900 for members to gamble with. And they ended the trip in the black, winning almost $60 from the gaming tables and slot machines, not to mention the 20 bucks they found on the sidewalk.
1: Afterward, they headed back to the seven-bedroom mansion they were currently renting in Rancho Santa Fe, an upper-class suburb of San Diego.
0: Still, their vacation wasn't over. The group went on more outings, hitting up SeaWorld and the San Diego Zoo, They ate out at several local restaurants. They even popped across the border for a quick visit to Tijuana.
1: But it wasn't all day trips and dinners. The class also had practical manners to attend to. For one thing, what were they going to wear on graduation day?
0: Heaven's Gate had always followed a unisex dress code of loose, long-sleeved shirts and pants. As we mentioned in a previous episode, wearing the same interchangeable clothes not only helped them downplay their gender, but made them feel more united as a crew.
1: But now, they were about to join a real next-level crew. So they needed real uniforms. They purchased some fabric and got to work.
0: The design of heaven's gates exit uniforms has commonly been compared to something you'd see on star trek and the similarity there was intentional the group had watched a lot of star trek movies and star trek the next generation tv episodes to them it was a good representation of what life in the next level was really like
1: to mimic the uniforms worn by starfleet they sewed pants and long-sleeved button-down shirts from thick black material The shirts all had two pockets near the waist and pleating on the front on either side of the buttons, almost like a tuxedo shirt.
0: And on each of their left shoulders, they attached a triangle-shaped patch. It read, Heaven's Gate Away Team, surrounded by a stitched constellation of stars and, of course, hail Bob."
1: They were the away team because they'd been sent down from the next level, like a scouting mission. Applewhite explained, We've been away, and now we're going back.
0: To complete their uniforms, they bought 39 matching pairs of black-and-white Nike Decades sneakers. Applewhite apparently chose them because he both liked the way they looked, and he was able to get a good deal for the bulk order.
1: The members of Heaven's Gate were very aware that the outside world wouldn't understand what they were about to do. The reaction to their latest recruitment efforts had made that abundantly clear. People just didn't want to believe the truth of the next level.
0: So, to make sure that their story and their intentions were represented properly, a few days before their exit, they sat down for videotaped interviews.
1: Thirty-five of the remaining members gave a recorded statement, including Marshall Applewhite. They referred to them as exit videos.
0: Applewhite was interviewed first on March 19th, and his recording was the longest of the group. Among other things, he clarified that their exit should not be called a suicide. He said emphatically, Suicide is separation from the kingdom when the kingdom has reached out and offered life to you. It is suicide not to leave. He added, We are about to regain life.
1: 27 of the Exit videos address the rumors of brainwashing that had dogged Heaven's Gate from the earliest days. They knew people saw them as a cult, but that's not how they saw themselves. Members had free will to do what they wanted, and this was what they all wanted.
0: Sorodi, who had joined Heaven's Gate in 1976, explained, People on the other side of the camera, you'll say, you are deluded or you are brainwashed or whatever, but from my perspective, this is a godsend.
1: Sody, who joined in 1994, stressed in her statement, We are all choosing of our own free will to go to the next level with Applewhite and Nettles, and they are certainly not what the media is going to paint them out to be.
0: Members made it clear how much they loved their teachers. 32 of them directly thanked Applewhite and Nettles for leading them down this path and providing them with the opportunity to graduate. They knew that their older members had worked so hard and risked so much to free them from their human chains. Norodi, one of the earliest converts, said tearfully, We've all tried to prove to our older members that we're worthy of their effort and the sacrifice they made. At the
1: heart of all of it was their unshakable belief that this world was not for them. They simply did not belong on this planet. They had no attachment to their vehicles. One member referred to it as an old used car. Twenty-six of the exit videos expressed how disgusted they were with their human bodies and the trappings of human life.
0: Devotee was the last person to join Heaven's Gate in August of 1996. She'd left behind her husband and four young children. And she felt, there is nothing here for me. I want to look forward, keep my eye on apple white and nettles. That's my path. Above
1: all else, they were excited. Thirty of the videos talked about how overjoyed they were to finally graduate. It was everything they'd been waiting for.
0: Livodi, who was part of Applewhite's inner circle, said, We're very happy and proud to have been members of the class and couldn't be happier about what we're about to do.
1: Daimody explained, I'll be happy to get this suit of clothes off and put on a brand new fresh set with new vibrations and be in a new atmosphere.
0: In all of the 35 statements, the members of Heaven's Gate spoke clearly and confidently. There were points when they showed some emotion, some sadness, but it was only when they mentioned Bonnie Lou Nettles, who they were still mourning. Other than that, it was all smiles, even some jokes.
1: Junotti, who'd been with the group for 22 years, concluded, We might see you all again, and then we might not. But we hope that you remember us as we were and not how other people are going to try and tell you that we are. And one last thing we'd like to say is, 39 to beam
0: up. They'd spent months preparing, decades really, and a few days after recording the exit videos, they set their meticulous plans in motion.
1: Coming up, Heaven's Gate graduates. Now back to the story.
0: Rio D'Angelo joined Heaven's Gate in 1994, and he'd been happy inside the group, dedicated to reaching the next level. But a few weeks before their exit in March of 1997, he was struggling, consumed by an uneasy feeling.
1: He approached Marshall Applewhite and confessed. He felt like something was pulling him away from the group. Maybe this wasn't his true destiny.
0: Applewhite listened to Rio's concerns and eventually agreed he should leave. In fact, maybe that was part of the Next Level's plan for him, his higher purpose.
1: It was a curious idea. And whether or not Applewhite explained it at the time, Rio certainly knew what it meant when he received a package in the mail from Heaven's Gate, shortly after he left the group.
0: It included some VHS tapes, floppy disks, and a letter. The letter explained, By now, you should be aware that we have exited our vehicles just as we entered them.
1: Rio's 39 former classmates had finally graduated, passed on through Heaven's Gate.
0: He later discovered that the VHS tapes contained the 35 exit videos. The floppy disks held backup copies of all their classroom materials. It was an insurance policy to make sure the teachings of Heaven's Gate lived on.
1: And it wasn't the only one they sent. A handful of other people, mostly former members, received packages, too. Two members who left the group in the late 80s promised to serve as webmasters, and they still maintain the Heaven's Gate site to this day.
0: As extra insurance, Heaven's Gate mailed floppy disks with all the information to host their website to contacts in Poland and Brazil. If the U.S. government tried to shut down their site, they wanted to make sure it could be reposted on an international server. As far as we can tell, that never happened.
1: But of all the recipients, Rio DeAngelo was the closest geographically to their rented mansion in Rancho Santa Fe. So he likely received the news first.
0: On March 26th, Rio decided that he needed to see it for himself. A friend drove him down from Los Angeles and he went to the house. What he found was shocking, but not at all surprising.
1: He called 911, telling the operator, I need to report an anonymous tip. This is regarding a mass suicide, and I can give you the address.
0: When an officer from the San Diego Sheriff's Department entered the house, the smell that greeted him confirmed that not only had someone died here, but they'd likely been deceased for a couple of days. Even still, nothing could have truly prepared authorities for what they found.
1: 39 identical bodies, dressed in matching uniforms and sneakers, all but two laying on a bed in the same pose, arms at their sides, a purple shroud covering their head and torso. Sitting next to each of them, a packed bag.
0: Initially, reports claimed that all of the deceased were male. This was likely because of Heaven's Gate's standardized short haircut style. Eventually, authorities confirmed that the group consisted of 21 women and 18 men, ages 26 to 72.
1: They all carried some form of identification in their pockets – driver's licenses, passports, birth certificates – as well as $5.75. Some researchers claimed that this was standard practice for the group. They always carried pocket money in case of emergency.
0: But a former member explained in Heaven's Gate, the Cult of Cults, it has to do with an old Mark Twain story. He said that $5.75 was the cost to ride the tail of a comet to heaven.
1: As the investigation continued, a clear picture of events emerged. The details we're about to walk through might not be appropriate for every listener. Please keep this in mind and consider skipping ahead in the episode if that's what's best for you.
0: The members of Heaven's Gate exited their vehicles in three waves, starting on March 22nd. There were likely 15 members in the first group, 15 in the second, and 9 in the third.
1: As was standard in Heaven's Gate, they'd each follow the same identical procedure to exit. Authorities found copies of their instructions in some of their pockets.
0: They followed Derek Humphrey's methodology from the book they'd purchased years before. They each consumed a lethal amount of barbiturates mixed into either pudding or applesauce. Their directions said to eat a few spoonfuls before stirring the drugs in to make sure there was enough room in the cup. Then eat the mixture as quickly as possible.
1: To accelerate the effects of the sedatives, they drank vodka. Finally, they were instructed to lay down, relax, and fall asleep
0: this combination of drugs and alcohol would have induced a fatal coma all on its own. But as Dr. Greg Thompson told the Los Angeles Times, because this is a long-acting barbiturate, it takes a long time to die from it.
1: Which is probably why there was one final step. After they fell asleep, another member placed a plastic bag over their head and tied it with a plastic band suffocating them. Once they died, the bag was removed and they were covered with the shroud.
0: The coroner reported, the first group went ahead with this plan, and the second group sort of assisted them, cleaned up after them after they had died. Then the third team helped the second team, and they were finally down to two people who were not shrouded with these sheets. We believe they were the last ones, and they did have plastic bags over their heads.
1: The purple shroud spoke to the religious nature of Heaven's Gate's actions, and they might've been related to Easter, which was only a few days away. In the Bible, Jesus wore a purple robe as he carried the cross to his crucifixion. But sociologists Robert Balch and David Taylor also noted that purple was Bonnie Lunettle's favorite color.
0: Based on the estimated time of death, Marshall Applewhite exited with the second group. Authorities discovered his body last, alone on a king-sized bed in the master bedroom. His autopsy showed that his fears of dying from cancer were unfounded, though he did have advanced heart disease.
1: In many ways, Applewhite had finally delivered on the promised demonstration. He had predicted decades earlier that the world would witness his death and his ascension to the next level, where he'd live forever. By sending out their materials, including a literal press release, and by leaving behind such a dramatic tableau, he'd ensured that they'd capture the public's attention.
0: Sociologist Robert Balch commented, What's amazing about this to me is that this is such a tiny little group in the grand scheme of things, so insignificant. But now, 20-something years later, people are still talking about the group. It's in all the books on cults, every encyclopedia of unconventional religions. They're in there, and they will be for who knows how long.
1: Indeed, by the night of March 26, the Heaven's Gate suicides were headline news. The body count alone was shocking. 39 people. It was the largest mass suicide in the country to date. Then-President Bill Clinton called it heartbreaking and sickening.
0: And it had happened in a multi-million dollar mansion in Rancho Santa Fe. This was an upscale neighborhood, home to celebrities. Several residents had interacted with Heaven's Gate over the last six months. They were quiet, unassuming, if not a little odd. But no one expected this.
1: The public was struck by the meticulous planning. Heaven's Gate had made sure that the house would be left clean and spotless. They had taken the trouble to pay off a $2.50 library fine the day before exiting.
0: Footage from inside the mansion was eventually released by the police. Haunting images of the members of Heaven's Gate lying still in their beds, in identical poses, wearing identical uniforms covered by identical shrouds. The coroner commented that it had all been sort of immaculately carried out.
1: There was no sign of a struggle or violence of any kind. No blood at the scene. Just like they'd expressed in their exit videos, they'd all laid down their vehicles willingly. Authorities agreed this was a voluntary situation.
0: It was clear how the suicides had happened. The evidence was all there. But the question of why was a lot more challenging
1: because the explanation that Heaven's Gate provided in their materials didn't make any sense to outsiders. God was an alien in the next level, and they were going to be picked up by a spaceship trailing hale It was perceived as nonsense. How could 39 seemingly healthy, competent adults kill themselves?
0: Well, the public engaged in a little bit of cognitive dissonance of their own. They thought the members of Heaven's Gate must not have been competent. That was the only way to explain it. They were lunatics, brainwashed idiots. Case closed.
1: It was a lot easier for everyone to sensationalize the group, turn them into a joke, than to let the uncomfortable question of why linger. Heaven's Gate became a punchline on late-night talk shows and Saturday Night Live.
0: Because to really understand why they did this, you have to confront an even more difficult question. Did the members of Heaven's Gate really die by suicide?
1: Or were they, in effect, murdered by Marshall Applewhite?
0: Scholar Benjamin Zeller argues that we should treat Heaven's Gate like a religion. He points out all the ways their beliefs and behaviors fit the trappings of a religious movement, even though they seemed extreme to outsiders. And in his opinion, the Heaven's Gate suicides were a religious act, an expression of absolute faith and devotion.
1: One of the things that Zeller highlights is the concept of suicide itself. By 1996, the group had completely redefined its meaning. In their view, willfully departing your vehicle wasn't suicide. Applewhite wrote, the true meaning of suicide is to turn against the next level when it is being offered.
0: Hail, bop was the offering, the promise that it was time to exit. So they abandoned their vehicles, not because they wanted to die, but because that was the only way to enter God's kingdom.
1: Zeller's argument gives us context for Heaven's Gate's intentions. However, just because the group redefined suicide for themselves doesn't mean that the reality was any different. No matter the justification, they did die.
0: And sociologist Janja Lalich argues that the redefinition of suicide put the members of Heaven's Gate in a no-win scenario. In spite of what members claimed in their exit videos, there was no free will by the end. Marshall Applewhite had left them with only two choices, and both were suicide.
1: If they left the group and remained on Earth, it was a metaphorical suicide. They were damning themselves to the hell that was this planet.
0: Or they could abandon their vehicles in a physical suicide and ascend to heaven with the rest of their classmates, the only family they'd known for almost 20 years. It may have been framed as free will, but it was an illusion of choice.
1: And her argument was probably best demonstrated by the fact that, in the months following Heaven's Gate's exit, at least three former members died by suicide. One of them even wore their own version of the uniform, with an away team patch.
0: That's how potent Heaven's Gate's worldview was, even after leaving. And maybe that means Zeller is right. The suicides were about faith, not coercion. But by the end, the center of their faith was Marshall Applewhite. And even if he claimed his instructions came from the next level, the rest of the group acted at his direction.
1: Lalich also provides an argument beyond the religious framing that gives some important context. Life inside of Heaven's Gate was a constant daily struggle against every human impulse. They had to have constant awareness, constant vigilance, to make sure they were living up to the standards of the next level, Applewhite standards.
0: They accepted how difficult this was because they believed that one day the struggle would end, and that would be the day they graduated.
1: One former member described this atmosphere shortly after joining the group in 1975. He wrote... It is this condition of continual strain that does the work it is the struggle and the push against the forces of fatigue doubt indulgence irritation that keeps us changing truly we would rejoice in the endless struggling because it is the fire of our conversion for there is an ending to it and on that day we will know our rewards
0: so put yourself in their shoes for a minute Three-quarters of the members who died by suicide had been living with the struggle for 20 years. Waited 20 years to be told by their older member, you finally did it. You can finally claim your reward.
1: So when they said in the exit videos how excited they were, how proud they were, it wasn't because they were happy they were dying. It was because they were finally worthy. They thought that everything they'd gone through had meant something. By that point, suicide felt like a relief.
0: Does that amount to murder? Yanya Lalich says yes. The systems that Applewhite put in place left Heaven's Gate with no other option than death, even for some members who were no longer part of the group.
1: Was that Applewhite's intention all along? Probably not. It was more of a tragic ripple effect caused by Bonnie LuNettle's death.
0: In fact, Applewhite completely absolved himself of all responsibility. He didn't tell anyone what to do. It all came from above. He was just the messenger. It was his own version of cognitive dissonance.
1: And it excuses his ego. Even if the suicides were a religious act, we still have to acknowledge that Applewhite had censured himself in that faith as Jesus. Would a truly devout person ever be able to refuse him? Probably not.
0: In an earlier episode, we talked about the idea of a seeker. People joined Heaven's Gate because they were searching for answers and felt that Bonnie Lou Nettles and Marshall Applewhite could provide them. And this applied to the later converts, too, in the second round of recruitment.
1: One member explained in her exit video, I think everyone in this class wanted something more than the human world had to offer. They were seeking some type of goodness, some type of rightness that they did not feel in this world.
0: A lot of them already felt like outsiders in their lives, aliens, before they'd even heard of the next level. Beyond faith, Heaven's Gate provided them with acceptance. They were all part of the same crew.
1: No one was better, smarter, funnier, or happier than anyone else. Heaven's Gate was a level playing field. You can see how there's comfort in that, even if it was comfort
0: in a cage. And maybe that's why there are a handful of former members who still subscribe to the teachings of Heaven's Gate to this day. Rio D'Angelo, who alerted authorities to the suicides, remains a fervent believer and advocate for the group.
1: He said in 2007, I'm alive not because I rejected anything about Heaven's Gate. I'm alive because I've discovered something so extraordinarily important to the world that it needs to be passed on to you in its most true and accurate form. From me.
0: Mark and Sarah King, who maintain the Heaven's Gate website, still believe they'll reach the next level one day. They left the group in 1987, not because they lost their faith, but because they fell in love with each other.
1: They wrote in 2020 Everyone has a choice. Anyone who wants the next level can attain it. If not in this lifetime, then the next.
0: This is the end of our Heaven's Gate Anniversary Special, presented by CULTS. Thanks for listening. You
1: can find all episodes of CULTS and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: CULTS is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Cults was written by Abigail Cannon, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petris. Cult stars Greg Paulson and Vanessa Richardson.
3: Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify.